Rights, freedom, and equality works when everybody more or less has the same God, or at least moral tradition. So when the country is divided between Anglicans, Congregationalists, Presbyterians, a few Baptists, and maybe some Catholics and Jews, no really big deal. Fast forward 200 years, when the country is divided between Christians, secularists, atheists, spiritual but not religious, uh, nuns, stockbrokers, and hockey players, well, at that point, your basic conceptions of God and justice are actually very different, and rights, freedom, and equality don't mean the same thing anymore. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pastor Theologians podcast. Today, our guest is Jonathan Lehman, who is the editorial director at Nine Marks, as well as the author of How the Nations Rage, Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided Age. And we are talking with Jonathan today about this year's political cycle and Christian engagement with politics in general. Let's get right into the conversation. Jonathan Lehman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Todd. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you on board. We've been looking forward to this for quite a while. Uh, we were uh, super excited to have you as one of our plenary speakers at our conference that we regrettably had to cancel because of uh, COVID restrictions and things, but we we're very much looking forward to that. But we thought well, we're going to get you on the podcast uh, to to share uh, perhaps some of the things you were going to share at the conference. There is a ton we want to get into today and uh, uh, worth mentioning the context that we find ourselves in. We are just, uh, uh, you know, what, 14 days out from we, the- weeks, Mass- weeks away, a couple of weeks. <laughs> we, you know, right. we, <laughs> days Crazy away. time. <laughs> and yeah. it's not going to come a moment too soon, right? I think we've all been sort of, yeah. uh, it feels like nationally, uh, frothing at the mouth. It's been a zany year uh, with everything that's been going, a hard year uh, with everything going on, and then to have a national election in the midst. And of it, it remains to be seen whether it will be over in 14 days. Well, in any fair point. Moment. Fair point, fair point. Um, but we are, we're delighted to have you. Um, and uh, you, you, I just appreciate so much, and I know many of our listeners do, your thoughtful ministry, uh, not only through nine marks, but um, and everything you're doing uh, to help strengthen the church and recover a biblical ecclesiology for the sake of the church, but also the work you've done uh, to help us think uh, more theologically uh, and in ecclesially sensitive ways about politics. And so you're just a great person to have on the podcast uh, these uh, just weeks out from national election. And uh, so we're excited to get into all of that. Um, but before we dive into that, we're going to, so, we're going to solve it all in the next hour. Well, yeah. You know, I just figured I'd, I'd ask you a simple question, which is who are you voting for, for president in this election? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll, we'll bleep out whatever you say, right? Uh, no, exactly. Jonathan, so we're going to, we're going to talk about, um, you, you wrote a very provocative, powerful piece in Christianity Today uh, recently. We want to talk a, talk a bit about that. Um, and uh, it's kind of connected to the church, uh, to Capitol Hill Baptist, where you are uh, a member. Um, and, and really interesting, um, powerful things happening there with COVID restrictions on worship in D.C. And I know a lot of Christians have been following that and caught the news of, of, of that. So I want to talk to you a bit about that. But 
why don't we begin with just your current ministry? What what is it that you do uh, through Nine Marks? And maybe tell us a little bit about Nine Marks, and then also a little bit about your background, right? Educational yeah. background and and uh, uh, so, yeah. So so start with it. What do you do? <laughs> What's your day job? Tell us about your day job. Yeah, sure. My day job is editorial director for Nine Marks, which means I oversee all the content written and to some extent spoken coming out of Nine Marks. Nine Marks is a ministry in Washington, D.C. It's based there for building healthy churches. We're try- primarily trying to reach pastors and church leaders around the world, trying to mm-hmm. point them back to the Bible, saying, hey, mm-hmm. a lot of these church growth methods might be useful here or there, but we actually yeah. think the Bible is is what's crucial for being, growing, leading a church. And that that's the main mm. burden of our ministry. We have a website, ninemarks.org. We do a journal. We do books. And as I said, I'm the editorial director, which, which means I oversee all of that content. You know, usually five or six books a year will publish along with four or five journals mm. and so forth. I serve as an elder. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I served as an elder for, for a while at Capitol Hill Baptist. And then two years ago, we about 60 of us left Capitol oh. Hill. For, oh, I did that. Yeah, for the little suburb we live in just outside of the district on the Maryland side, Chevrolet, Maryland. And we planted a church, 65 of us, called Chevrolet Baptist Church and presently serving as an elder there, oh, along marvelous. with a few other guys who came out with. Yeah, it's been, it's been a great time. That and is uh, husband to Shannon, four daughters – between ages 14 and seven. Uh, that's, wow. That's the Four daughters, Jonathan. Nutshell. Wait, wait, so <laughs> there's, a, there's five, boy five females and, and, and you. Yes. You've got a boy dog. Yes. Well, Here we go. <laughs> got a, boy, a, little, a little cockapoo named Atticus Finch. And, um, <laughs> yeah, nice. Nice. Let's see. Uh, I mean, school, I, I, I studied political science. I was always interested in politics. Uh, you know, high school, I thought I wanted to be president. Uh, where did you, where, Jonathan, where'd you grow up, by the way? Where'd you grow up? Well, Eugene, Oregon, till I was almost 15, and then oh, suburban okay. Chicago, Winneka. Oh, you know, wow. Home alone, home alone suburb. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, sure. Uh, yeah, so then went to college in, in Upper State New York, University of Rochester, did a political science and English, discovered discovered political theory my sophomore year and the Federalist Papers and stuff oh, like this. And just, oh, beautiful. Just, I love this. My brain just seems to operate in that gear. And what, what is that gear, Jonathan? What's the gear that it operates in? Talk to me about that. Well, the, yeah, well, the political theory, political philosophy gear, whatever that is, you know. Yeah, but the, what is so intriguing about all that to you? <sighs> That's a good question. I mean, questions, I think I, think I was always concerned about the state of the country. I was always concerned about the state of morality, public morality, mm. questions of justice. You know, as a, as a high schooler, those yeah. things started catching my attention and I'd, I'd want to get into conversations about just societies and, you know, with high school, fellow high school students. <laughs> class. Just societies with fellow high school students. <laughs> Jonathan, that's pretty geeky I was, stuff. I, was, I wasn't an athletic child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of, I can just kind of, see I can just see four or five dude juniors in high school sitting around the cafeteria, and you ask them about the Just Society. Well, you know, I, I had a good high school. New Trier, <laughs> New Trier is a good high school. We, you know, we had. We had oh, of, you went to New Trier. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, well, that puts it in a different perspective. New Trier is a unique for listeners. New Trier is a is a. I mean, it's a nationally recognized high school. It's a very unique. 
place. So that makes yeah. a lot of more sense now, Jonathan. We had, we, had a, we had a great time. We had a great time. And anyway, so yeah, uh, college, I just thought, I love this. And so I graduated from college and I wanted to study some more. So I went to, went overseas to London and did a political, a master's in political theory. Uh, Where'd you do that at London? London School of Economics. And, oh, marvelous. And then I was encouraged to go on and do a PhD, but I wanted to, I wanted to pay off some debt first. So I moved to Washington, D.C., Ended up working as a magazine editor for an international economics magazine you wouldn't have heard of. and uh, But then I'm like, okay, I think I want to do a PhD. But somewhere in there, in the late 90s, this is like 97, 98 now, wow. uh, I I would say I, I became a Christian. I, I crossed from death to life. Mm. I repented and believed. Wow. And it was, I joined Capitol Hill Baptist Church in 96, right, when I first moved to D.C. Wow. But I would say I, I'd say I joined as a nominal Christian. Uh, so did you grow up in a Christian home, Jonathan? I did. I had wonderful parents, Christian parents who taught me the gospel. I, I would say I tacitly believed wow. the gospel, but my life in high school and college were spent uh, with such rebellion, nonstop, thoroughgoing rebellion, and never attending mm. church. So we're talking about like a decade of my life, though calling myself a Christian, very much pursuing the world wow. in, 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 in all the ways high school and college students do, and, and then grad school, same thing over in London. But was when I when I moved to DC, and a, fr- a friend of mine said, "Hey, listen, if you join this church, you can move into the men's house on Capitol Hill for three hundred and fifty bucks a month." And I thought, "Yeah, <laughs> Capitol Hill, right. three fifty. What, what do I need to do? Join the church? I'll join the church. What do I have to say? Where do I sign up?" So, what I intended for God, financial aid, uh, financial gain, God intended for good. I would say it was as a member of the church in the late 90s in Washington, D.C. that uh, I became a Christian. And, and my, my, my life radically changed at that point. And uh, 96 to 2000, along the way, I felt called to ministry, went to Southern Seminary, got my MDiv 2001 to 2004. Met my did, you, did you leave and go to, to Louisville to do that? I did, yeah. This, this, oh, this wow. is way back in the pre, you know, days of pre-internet seminary. Yeah, sure. And uh, um, so yeah, I got my MDiv and then did a couple of interim pastorates, did some more work for Mark Dever at that point, but then also started a PhD, did the PhD. Ended up, my two interests of theology and political philosophy converged in my dissertation, my PhD. And you, you could call it an exercise in political theology, uh, if, if you know that lingo. And mm-hmm. uh, did that while also working full-time for Nine Marks starting in 2006, and I've been doing that ever since. Finished the PhD in 12, 13-ish, and uh, Marvelous. Ha- have written some books on the yep. church and then also faith and politics. And uh, Talk to us about the PhD dissertation. What was it, what was it on? Yeah, it's, uh, it came out as a book with uh, Kevin Van Hooser's I and uh, uh, – uh, oh, this is embarrassing. Can't think of his name. Ah. His uh, uh, their theology series with IVP Academic. It's called Political Church. Uh, um, yeah. uh, what is the subtitle? The local assembly is embassy of Christ's rule. And so, what yeah. it really is 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 a political theology. I dare say, from the ground up, how do mm. we understand what is what is the political world landscape uh, through through the, a biblical lens, and what is the church on that landscape? See, most political philosophers, theologians. They're asking questions about the state, and I'm firstly interested in the church. So that's, mm. in some ways, my unique angle at the whole topic. And obviously, yes. it's not entirely unique. Lots of others are doing something similar, but I think we got to start with the church. And, and the, the church is political, isn't it? 
That's right. That's 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 the argument of the book. And what's yes. the relation of the state to the church and so forth? And how do we how do we understand and ground these things biblically and specific, specifically covenantally? Um, yes. is, is and of course, by that you don't, Jonathan, you don't mean church political. You don't mean what what a popular person, you know, a kind of the person on the street would hear when they say the church is political. They'd say, "Yeah, tell me about it. The church is too political. It's overly political." You don't mean that. You, no, you're not right. saying the same thing. You're saying something I, more I, profound and subtle. I, I like to think of myself as profound and subtle. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I, I tell people all the time. Yeah, yeah, I'm profound and subtle. Um, yeah. Uh, no, no. I am using. Thank you. That's a great question. I'm using the word political a little more broadly than is than is popularly used in the kind of classical liberal tradition, where you have a division between your, your political sphere and then your religious sphere. I'm saying no. All of life is political, and for the Christian specifically, yeah. Christians' politics begins with these words: Jesus is King, and He's mm-hmm. King of Kings, and He's Lord of Lords. And so we come before Jesus and we say, "O King." Uh, t- tell me what to do with my life. Tell me what to do with my every domain of my life, my my yes. my work, my family, what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a citizen. King Jesus, you're the ruler. Mm. And that's where our politics begins as a Christian. There's just some strong Kuyperian stuff going on there for you, Jonathan? Uh, and so, well, uh, yes. Uh, I would say I have a more rigorous and developed institutional sensibility, though maybe you get that a little bit more with Kuiper, later Kuiper. Mm. Um, uh, the, the two kingdoms, folks. Mm-hmm. I can get in the weeds for a second. No, no, no. We like weeds on this podcast. Uh, the two kingdoms, folks, I appreciate their institutional s- sensibilities. The Kuyperianism, I appreciate their here's a yucky word, phenomenological sensibilities, right? So all of life is, is, is political. And that's what Kuiper is getting at when he says no square inch under which, you know, yes, yes. that's right. But the question then is, okay, is he king over every square inch in the same way? Does he exercise his rule in the same right. way? And then at that point, yeah. he develops his kind of sphere sovereignty idea, and that's useful. But that's also where the two kingdoms crowd is like, well, hold on. It seems like he's king in one way here and king in another way. He's exercising his rule in another way there. Mm. Uh, all of these are coming from the Presbyterian tradition. I'm, of course, coming from a Baptist congregational tradition, so it's going to work itself out a little differently than my, yes. my Pado Baptist brethren. Um, but yeah, that's. Yeah, that's that's the ballpark the dissertation's playing in. How serious is the conversation, the ongoing conversation within the Baptistic tradition, the Baptist tradition on political theology? Do we have to kind of go to the Catholics and go to the Presbyterians and and make some changes and bring it into the Baptist tradition, or is there a, a vibrant, deep conversation, ongoing conversation in the Baptist tradition on political theology, Jonathan? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think the Baptists have historically been the best when it comes to matters of, say, religious freedom. Yes. Right? I, I think we were instrumental and crucial in developing that, even in the American tradition. And, and and you look at influences Baptists had both on Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, going all the way back even to Roger Williams. And there's there's, there's different varieties and forms of it. So on matters of, of religious freedom and the separation of church and state and what that means, mm. yeah, I, th- I think Baptists have made a, 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 a an crucial contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, of late, no, there's not been a lot. I mean, Carl Henry wrote some in that area, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there, there's more and more Baptists these days writing about it in different places. 
certainly when it comes to moral philosophy and so forth, and, and, and those elements of public philosophy, but mm-hmm. Baptists haven't probably been at the forefront. So, yeah, I'm, yes. I mean, I'm still pointing to yeah. various, various non-Baptist writers as some of my, you know, go-tos. So, sure. you know, I, I talk a lot about Oliver O'Donovan or, or these yes, guys. Yes, right, know, right. I, I like some of the work of David Van Drunen. I like uh, Stanley yeah. Hauerwas is a nut, but he's yeah. got some provocative and helpful things here and there. You know? yes. So I, you know, I do find myself often pointing to non-Baptists. Jo- Jonathan, tell us a little bit about developing this dissertation, writing the dissertation, and then and then we want to talk about your 2018 book, Why the Nations Rage. But talk to us about the relationship between your social location in D.C. and this, and this scholarship and theological reflection. That's one of our kind of insights that we've worked with for years now at the CPT, which is the, the, the important relationship between social location and theological reflection. And that a, for our, our shtick is that, um, pastors reflect differently theologically because of their social location than do academic theologians. So a pastor theologian goes about the task in a slightly different way because of the rough and tumble and the warp and woof of pastoral ministry. Talk to us about the impact of your social location being, if I can say this, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, the kind of epicenter of politics on the planet, on the planet, right? You're in DC. There's more political energy in that place per square inch than anywhere on the planet. So talk to us about that, how that has impacted the writing and reflection you've done over the years. Well, I think originally it wasn't so much my DC location that impacted me. I'm going to to get to that, but Mm. a couple, Mm. couple of steps to get there. I think First and foremost, I'm writing out of and in response to the classical liberal tradition of the West. Yes. So so when I'm doing a political theology, I'm doing it in view of the Enlightenment, in view of classical liberalism in the American tradition. You know, you think of our founding documents and the Yeah, I was going to say, Jonathan, just let me interrupt you real quick and just break down classical liberalism for some of our listeners. Some of our listeners will will get that, like John Locke and Enlightenment Mm -hmm. at all. But break that down just a little bit for us, would you? Because I think others will hear, oh, liberalism as in not conservative. Yeah, no, I mean liberalism as in liberty, right? Liberty, liberalism, liberty as being sort of the primary thing that government exists to protect. Yeah. Give me liberty or give me death, says Patrick Henry. And that is what within the classical liberty, liberal tradition we are, in a sense, trying to protect. And the American experiment is one of history's greatest uh, illustrations of the attempt to put that political philosophy into play. And when we have yeah. cardinal virtues like rights, freedom, and equality is, is what government exists to uphold. And what that experiment depends upon is this idea that we can set aside our various religious convictions and come together around these neutral, religiously neutral principles, rights, freedom, equality. Yeah. And, you know, so you get that famous Jefferson quote about, I, I don't care if, if a man has 20 gods or no God or one God, so long he doesn't pick my pocket or break my bone. I'm doing this from memory, so it's probably off you know, then, then I, then I, then, then I'm happy for my, my, my fellow citizen to have, have his, his religion. So rights, freedom, and equality works in a sense when everybody, here's, here's one of the things I argue, works when everybody more or less has the same God or at least, mm. you know, 
moral tradition. So when the country is divided between Anglicans, Congregationalists, Presbyterians, a few Baptists, and maybe some Catholics and Jews. No big deal. No really big deal. But when the country, fast forward 200 years, when the country right. is divided between Christians, secularists, atheists, not religious, but you know, spiritual but not religious, uh, nuns, stockbrokers, and hockey players. Well, at that point, uh, your 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 basic conceptions of God and justice are actually very different. And rights, yeah. freedom, and equality don't mean the same thing anymore. The right, right, yeah. abortion, yes. for freedom to define my own gender, marriage equality. Well, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. Well, no, that is what I mean. Well, apparently, we're not agreeing anymore. Right. So what you have at the academic level, in the, you know, in the, in the in the hallways of political philosophers and theologians are these new conversations in the last 30 years about whether or not philosophical classical liberalism really works. Uh, has the American experiment failed? Uh, is it proving unworkable? Uh, give me liberty or give me death becomes give me my baby's death so that I can have liberty. Right. Yes. Some might say, you know, or thinking of, of Washington and Adams, this form of government only works in a virtuous society. Well, what happens yeah. when you no longer are in a virtuous society? Well, according to Adams and Washington, I, I said Jefferson, I meant Washington. Adams and Washington, this form of government doesn't work. And is that what we're discovering right now in the culture wars and so forth? Anyway, so well, no, no. Oh, 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 what, what do you what do you what do you think about that? What, what's what's your take on that on that question? And and throw in a little Patrick Deneen interaction with, with liberalism and has it failed? Yeah. Uh, now I, we're geeking I, out, Jonathan. Now we're geeking oh, yeah, out. You, yeah, you sure are. I, I reviewed Deneen's book in in Christianity Today, and I uh, what did I say about it? Give us a um, one minute. Give us a one minute summary of his argument, right? Uh, for for listeners who aren't familiar with Patrick Deneen, but uh, but to commend to listeners, it's quite been quite an influential book. Yeah, uh, but give it give us the one minute what the, the argument is, and then your response to it. You, you say the title explicitly. You neither of you have done that yet. Has why? liberalism failed? Or is it why liberalism failed? Or why liberal? No, is it is it why? Yeah, one <laughs> it's of one of those. <laughs> those. <laughs> Nevertheless, you kind of said it in passing, Todd. But I wanted to make sure that has liberalism failed? Isn't it? <laughs> Something about liberalism and failing in a question mark. Yeah, you, you guys can Google it. You'll find it. D-E-N-E-E-N, -E -E Patrick Deneen. He's a, he's a professor. He was at Georgetown and, and now he's at Notre Dame. And he's, he's one of the critics of liberalisms, uh, classical liberalism, that is. And uh, in, in this book, he, he argues that liberalism cultivates an ethic of, of, of a, uh, a form of virtue that's ultimately self-defeating. Right. So when we when we uh, when we make these basic values our ultimate values, they end up undermining themselves. And when you look at Western society, that's essentially what's happened. And so he offers as an alternative, going back to certain kind of um, local communities uh, where people are it's kind of a more of a communitarian vision. Think think Bob Putnam. Mm -hmm. think Think uh, uh, some I don't know Michael Sandel. But th th think 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 uh, think local communities where people are are engaging more with one another and bringing their 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 conceptions of the good life to bear on their public deliberations, right? And, and negotiating yes. those. So it's a uh, I, I, I again I offer a longer response and critique to to it, and I think it was Christianity Today, so you can look there. It's a fascinating work. I. Yeah. 
I like parts of it. I don't like parts of it. That's that's the bottom line. Anyhow, so but back to your question, brother uh, Todd, about my social location. That that yes. is a high level academic level. That's that's my location. That's what I'm responding to. Okay, yes. now let's fast forward to a couple of years later. I write this book called "How How the Nations Rage: Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided Age." And yeah, that yes. very much is out of me in D.C. So I started by teaching that as a Sunday school class to members of Capitol Hill Baptist. And I, I taught through the 12-week class like, I don't know, three or four times in, in preparing to write this book. And so I'm speaking to Hill staffers and I'm speaking to mm. law and I'm speaking to, you know, military officers stationed in D.C. And uh, what, 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 are, what are the two things I'm responding to? In some ways, I'm, tr- I'm trying to avoid a ditch on one side of the road of, of, uh, the, the political, let's keep the political and spiritual divided, and we're just here to be the church, and never mind politics. It's all going to burn anyway. Sort of, you might yeah. say, a quietist instinct. So I'm trying to avoid that yeah. ditch. But then on the other side, I'm trying to avoid the ditch, and especially on Capitol Hill, especially helping these brothers and sisters think through uh, how to avoid utopianism. Yes. That is that is the big risk, I think. Or let me use another word, co-optation, being co-opted. Is this a kind of is the is the idea there, Jonathan, a bit of an overrealized eschatology of we're going to usher in yeah. the new heavens and the new earth here? Is that what you mean by cooptation and and yeah. a utopia in putting it in theological terms? Well, look, we 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 are creatures uh, who who have physical eyes and we see physical maladies and physical problems in front of us, and obviously those take. Those are urgent. We feel the urgency of various justice issues at hand. And as Christians, mm. though, we're called to live by faith and recognize that the eternal is finally more significant than the temporal, as mm. significant as the temporal can be. And we, we, we don't want to divide that off. And we, we, we play out our righteousness. We play out justice in the temporal, but we, we finally take our cues from the eternal. Okay, so what you have in Washington, D.C. is a whole bunch of people who move here, at least uh, yeah. among, among, among a certain crowd, uh, especially those showing it up at Capitol Hill Baptist. And they're there to change the world. They're there to make a difference, right? Yes. And, yes. and you want to say to them, were hey, you, look, were, were you one of those people when you moved? Uh, maybe the were first you one of those people, Jonathan? Yeah, you, first, right. Would you have counted yourself right. among that? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. Well, that's why I remember what I said. I was sitting around in my high school talking about what's a just society. <laughs> right. You know, so, uh, so okay, you know the yeah, feeling. People, that's right. So you show up at Capitol Hill and you want you want to, you know, get your job in town, whatever, and you kind of work your way up the ladder and, and you want to make a difference, whether you're on the political yes. right or the political left. This, this, this is mm-hmm. and especially in American tradition, we we do tend to conflate, conflate uh, American history with redemptive history, you know? Uh, yes. uh, manifest destiny, American exceptionalism. Yes. Uh, yes. we are we are the new Israel. This goes all the way back to the founding and you know, yes. pre-founding. John before the founding, before the founding, John Winthrop saying we're sitting on a hill and Reagan or Kennedy picking that up and Reagan and Obama picking that, that sort of language. Well, who is the city on the hill? It's not the nation. It's the church. Right. And so, okay, friends, your, your work on the hill, your work for justice is good. Let me affirm it. Justified sinners care about justice. Okay. Politics is not like separate from our religion. It's, it's, it's under the banner of obedience. So let me affirm, mm. I'm not a two kingdoms guy. Let me affirm uh, the good work, necessary work, obedient work you are doing as Christians seeking justice. Okay. Yeah. At the same time, if you do not 
If you are not willing to seek out justice and righteousness with the fellow members of your church, if, if you're not willing to pick up the old lady on the way to church, if you are not willing to come to the Lord's table with a brother or sister who disagrees with you on yes. this or that political matter, if, if you're not looking to support single moms and and, and, and people struggling on welfare in your own congregation, if you're not showing hospitality to people who look and come from a different country than you in your own congregation, I don't think you know what you're talking about when you're talking about politics. Yes. Because, Preach because it, brother. Our, yes, seriously. Our, yes, our, yes, yes. Our political life, as it were, starts right here. Yeah. And then it's as we exercise and learn justice and righteousness with each other that we gain the integrity, which should then spill outward as how we then engage and, and pursue it in the nation. You know, so imagine, you know, somebody out on the lecturing circuit uh, on, on parenting, and then you find out, you know, they're abusing or they're abandoning their kids at home. You'd say, don't talk to me about parenting. So before yeah. Christians go out into the public square to talk about justice and righteousness, just let's start by looking at our own congregational lives. Are, are, are we living the justice and righteousness with one another? Are we beating our swords into plowshares, our spears into pruding hooks, loving our enemies in our own local churches? Mm. If not, do we really have something to say to the nation? Um, you know, those wonderful words. Think about those wonderful words when you walk up to Lincoln Memorial, look to your right, and you see engraved in marble the second inaugural address and uh, mm. the, the, the last mm. lines from that. Uh, uh, something about fervently praying and, and achieving Achieving and cherishing a just and lasting peace with ourselves and with all nations. Beautiful words. Achieving Beautiful. and cherishing a just and lasting peace with ourselves and with all nations. You know, and there he is saying that in 1864. That sounds ecclesial. Well, stop. Yeah, there you go. Where, where should we first achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace with ourselves and with all nations? Well, is it not among those who are called to go to all nations? Right? Yes. Making disciples. So the political vision of the church uh, that I'm talking about begins there. Christ Christians, put your political hopes firstly in the church. Learn to be before you do, right? And then, or, or let me put it this way, and I, I, I borrowed this from some other author whose name actually I can't think of at the moment. Uh, you know, we got to talk less about transforming the nation than being a transformed nation, less yes. about redeeming culture than being a redeemed culture. Yes. Once, once we work at being a transformed nation in the church and a redeemed culture in the church, well, then, well, then we can commend that model, this, this justice and righteousness to the nations and the, and the nations say, Hey, you, you must be his disciple by the way you love one another. I, I can tell you're his disciple. It, 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 mm. It's then that we're salt and light, right? So I could keep babbling, guys. Oh Better no, no I'm loving, it. I'm loving it. And so interestingly enough, I, mean, I think you would, I think you would agree, Jonathan. The the average Christian is not nearly political enough, in your view. That well, that's that's right. Again, again, and and to be clear, defining that broadly, not narrowly. Simply like when we define it narrowly, we're talking about. Are you involved in partisan politics? Partisan, partisan politics, legislation, yes, policy, yes. the election. That's important stuff, but that's just one part of the overall vision. So yes, yeah. I want I want every believer to go before Jean King Jesus and say this. Okay, King Jesus, you've made me an American. How would you have me use my American identity? Yes. Okay, you've, you've made me the son of David and Barb. How would you have me honor my parents? Okay, you've made me a man. What does it mean to be a man? 
you know, these people are telling me this, those people are telling me that. King Jesus, what does it mean to be a man? I I have white skin. King Jesus, how would you have me use all that it means in the American society to be white for your good and your glory and my neighbor's good? Okay, I'm I'm middle class. I'm college educated, you know, on down the line. So if you want to talk about identity politics, uh, let's, let's, let's start right there. Yes. Going to King Jesus and saying, Lord, you define these things for me and tell me what to do. So, some of that stuff, Jesus is going to be like, that's trash. We're throwing it away. Other stuff, he's going to refine and give back, right? And kind of reshape and give back. But so, yeah, we, we as believers are called to do justice. We're called to love God and do that in part by loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so in mm-hmm. that regard, yes, we should be more political. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue our conversation with Jonathan Lehman. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.